Welcome to the Set Yourself Free podcast, real stories from ending emotional abuse and trauma and taking back your life. I'm your host, Carrie Veach, owner of Set Yourself Free. I'm a life and success coach that believes we all have limitless potential within ourselves if we have the right tools and support. Trauma or past hurt might be a part of your story, but it doesn't have to be the whole story. We all have different versions of what freedom means, and I'm here to help you uncover your perfect version of how to set yourself free. Join us for season one, where we follow five extremely brave women through their journey of setting themselves free. Through their stories, you will know that you are not alone that it does get better on the other side and learn practical ways that you too can set yourself free. Let's dive in. What was the first step you took in getting help and or leaving? Renee. Yeah. um, So after being depressed for weeks and just being worried about, um, you know, whether I was going to stay in school or not, or, you know, what the repercussions were going to be. I, um, I remember talking to my friend and I, 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 w- I wasn't thinking I had no, like, I had no problem solving, uh, ability at the time, but I was just talking to my friend, like, man, I'm so worried about school. And she was like, Hey, why don't you, I'm sure you'd like have a Dean of students or something. Why don't you like, go talk to them and figure that out? And I was like, Oh my gosh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, so I went to the Dean of Students, set up an appointment with her and she was super, super nice and kind. And I, I did not tell her what had happened to me at that point. I wasn't telling any people at all, but I was just like, Hey, something happened. My life just kind of blew up and, um, I need, I don't know if I need to drop, like what I, I asked her like, Hey, what will happen if I drop out right now? Um, what would be like my responsibilities and like, what are my other options, if any? Um, and she explained to me that I could drop a class, which was still kind of a big deal in law school, but it, it seemed better than dropping out and having to tell my family what happened. Um, I didn't tell her what happened, but she said, hey, I have a feeling that you've been the victim of a crime. And, you know, she's like, you don't have to tell me. But if you have been, there's this, you know, wonderful place I know that has um, free counseling for people who have been in that situation. So here's the number, no pressure, but if, if you need it, um, here it is. So, yeah. What a gift. I mean, yeah. in this way, like I just got chills as you said that because it, she just knew. I even I haven't even thought about that in so long, but I... It's crazy. I didn't say, I just said, look, some, something happened. Like I wasn't going to talk about it at all. And just for her to have that, that intuition and that, you know, like not bravery, but just, you know, just having that inkling to like say something. Cause I, she could have been totally off base, you know, but just saying, Hey, like, here's what I can do to help. Um, that was, that was so, that was so amazing. And I'm so thankful for that moment for sure. That is so beautiful because I think that is so much of the message of how I see that women doubt themselves is they have this inclination, they have a thought and whether or not they speak up about it and say something, right? Like I 
I I really believe our intuition is always trying to talk to us. It's just yes. are we willing to listen? Yes, absolutely. I a thousand percent agree with you. D. So the first step I took, and it was a really hard step, was to actually ask him to leave. Mm. Um, I actually had to ask him to leave the house, um, which was really, really hard because it was like the final straw. I remember I had asked him to leave um, a few years prior to that, and he didn't want really anybody to know. So instead of leaving the house, he went down to the basement. But um, yeah, but I, I, asked him to leave. And after he left, um, I went on vacation because we had a vacation plan that he was supposed to come on and didn't happen. And um, I had the locks changed. So it was a very, very big step. Um, But it was like the final straw. So I had to do that in my mind to make sure that I knew that this was the end. Yeah. Well, so I, I feel like two things come up for me as questions like, or thoughts is one, probably as a very protective mother, you had to make sure that your kids were safe. And that was part of that, I imagine. Is that feel true? Yeah. um, Actually, it really wasn't about the kids at that point. Um, It was more about um, surveillance, really, to be honest with you. I didn't know what was going to be in the house or planted in the house or anything like that. So I just, and plus like, I didn't want him coming to take things until we discussed it and, you know, that type of stuff as well. But really kind of at that time with what had happened, it was mostly about like surveillance and stuff like that. Mm. And then I, I feel like the other question I have, because talking to a lot of women, which I know you work with a lot of women around this as well, is that Many women feel very trapped because of their financial situation. Um, were you in a position where you had some money or were you reliant on your husband? Or can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, so at that point, I had my own business. Um, so I did make some money. So I wasn't reliant on him Um in order to keep the house, like I did need some of his income and we're actually going to get to that in a little bit later, but, um, you know, um, so I did have a plan. And when I work with women, you know, I say, don't leave right away, make sure you make a plan. So financially you're stable to go, but sometimes depending on what they're in, you got to go. You got to go and you got to figure out the finances later and just get as much help as you can from family, friends, anybody willing to to support you at that time. Because if you're in a very abusive relationship and even narcissist emotionally abusive, like you're better off just getting out now and and dealing with however you've got to do that. Yep. So you took these really bold steps. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how that felt or, you know, what you did in the midst of changing the lock? I mean, changing the locks is a really big deal. Yeah. I I was scared. He's going to be mad, which he was. Um, but yeah, I was scared. (laughs) I was scared. Definitely. I mean, it was, you know, ending my marriage really, you know, and it, it was very, very scary. And, you know, going back and forth in my head, like, is this the right thing to do? Like, should I do this? This is the father of my children. Like, 
you know, and I, I had to keep putting myself first. I had to keep, it wasn't about the children anymore at this point. And I know people might think like, what are you talking about? Because if I wasn't going to be okay, the children weren't going to be okay. So I had to keep thinking about myself and I couldn't keep getting violated anymore in the way that I was. And it wasn't doing any good for the children anyway, because I wasn't healthy. I wasn't emotionally healthy, mentally healthy. I wasn't, you know, I felt like I was drowning and dying. So um, I had to keep putting myself first. Every time I got scared, I said, no, I can't do this anymore. And I would just keep going. Mm. Well, I think that is so important for women to hear because it is that whole put on your oxygen mask first thing. I mean, you, you cannot help another person if you can't breathe. Period. Absolutely. So absolutely, and I, and I think as moms, we always put our kids first because that's what we're supposed to do, and you know that's what we're taught to do, and we're supposed to sacrifice everything for our children. I was just having this conversation actually with a friend of mine where, you know, it's survival mode as a mom, especially in the beginning, and we sacrifice ourselves. I was explaining like we lose ourselves. You know, and and then being in a marriage like this, like you've already lost yourself and now you're just being pounded and pounded. So it's really, really important to put yourself first, even in healthy relationships. You've got to put yourself and make the time for you. Absolutely. Raw. Yeah. So I didn't leave the relationship. He was the person who chose to in the relationship. And so had he have not ended things, I'm actually not quite sure where I would be right now. Um, like in hindsight, like I'm super glad that he did end things because it wasn't until I stepped out of it and after the relationship that I really truly realized what I'd been through. Hmm. Yeah, because during the relationship, like I, I had no idea that what I was experiencing was emotional abuse. Like I thought it was all me and my mental health, and I blamed myself. And so, yeah, I don't know how 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 things would be if he didn't have ended the relationship. Mm. And what I did notice was, like, it was. I was starting to get my power back when he did in the relationship. And so like I'd started doing more things for me. I'd started putting myself first a bit more and I'd started spending more time with other people. And so I was quite confused as to why he ended it because I was like, well, I'm doing all the things that you're telling me that you want me to do. You want me to be more me and be happy and positive and, um, when he ended it, he was, oh, it's too late. Like, it's not enough. That's kind mm. of what he said. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up getting out of it. Sure. Which was his choice, yeah. Were you upset that it ended? Did you feel relief? Like, how did you feel when you realized it was over? Um, yeah, I literally felt like I was dying. <laughs> um, 
yeah, that's how it felt. Um, my mum passed away when I was younger and I, if I was to compare it to the grief that I felt from that, it was far worse than uh-huh. when my mum died, which, um, yeah, when I think about it, like that says a lot yeah. as to how kind of bound to him and how attached to him I was. Um, like, yeah, I was distraught. Um, like I was you know, crying a lot. Um, I just couldn't really understand it. Um, and I think it was a big thing for me. Like I couldn't understand it. I was like, I tried so hard. Um, and I didn't quite get why, but I get it now. Sure. At the time, at the time it was like, but I'm doing all these things that you're kind of asking me to do, but now you're telling me that it's too late. And so I was quite confused still. And he was still telling me that he loved me and that he cared about me, which is awful to hear. I was like, but how, how can you love someone and care about someone like truly and unconditionally yeah. <laughs> and still, still choose to end the relationship? Um, well, that's how I felt anyway. And so... Yeah, how I felt literally is like I was dying. Like I'd had a part of me ripped out of me, really. Well, especially when you're you're hearing these conflicting messages, you know, not just in the moments that it's ending, but all throughout your relationship and you're trying to find a sense of of yourself, really, and what feels true for you from what I, I hear in terms of, you mm. know, you maybe feeling one way, but hearing something different and then trying to reconcile that within yourself. Yeah, definitely. Very much so. And like, even after the relationship ended because we were living together, like it was very much conflicting in terms of the things that he would say to me versus like his behaviors. Like, yeah. So like, you know, still saying I love you and I care about you and I'd do anything for you, but I don't want to be with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like that was really quite, quite difficult and really conflicting. And then like on the flip side, there'd be times where he would say, this is all your fault. I'm really angry at you. How could you do this to me? So like then putting the blame on me is for our relationship ending like him being angry at me for our relationship ending. Um, So, so many conflicting messages and really difficult for us to habitate, but not like going through the process of trying to find somewhere to live and, um, well, like because also financially he supported me quite a lot as well. And so going through trying to figure out how I was going to support myself financially and going about finding a new home, like all of those things kind of added, you know, that extra stress and that extra pressure um, 
on the whole situation as well. Absolutely. I mean, mm. your whole life is changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nor. Um, I think my first step was seeking help. Like I knew my core wasn't like whole. And I like when I was a teenager as a child, like I just didn't know what was wrong. And like, you know, as I was saying before, like I sought treatment when I was like in my like my teenage years, like after seven, 17, 18. And I just could never find the right fit of a therapist. And um there was like th- these moments of like clarity when I would read some books on like self-development. But the first step I think really began when I went to college and I like wanted to be a pre-med. Um, like most people in my culture, like that's the thing you do when you migrate over here, you become a doctor, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I decided to do. And I wanted to be a heart surgeon and I just could not make it to like through organic chemistry and my professor at Fordham just told me I was really dumb in front of the class, you know, and just told me that I was never going to make it um, into med school. So I became like really like depressed. And I was like, I don't know what my career path is. I don't know what to do. And then my um, biology teacher was just like, why don't you try your hand at psychology? And I laughed at her and I said, (laughs) I'm like, I don't think I could do that because I'm always crying. I'm so sensitive. And she was like, Mm. you, you know, try it. And I I tried it. And I met a teacher who was 32, who had a PhD, who was smart, intelligent, had her own private practice and was teaching. And I was like, that's who I want to be, you Mm. know? And from, and I talked to her and then she recommended a therapist me that was local, you know, and I really, that psychology journey really began, like, for me, for personal development, really helped me figure out, like, who I was, who I wasn't, and what to look for in a counselor, like, Mm -hmm. that was really important for me, so, like, that's when I think I took the first step, you know, in terms of determining how the emotional and the physical impact of like my father leaving me, but also physically abusing me and the emotional trauma that he put me through. Like, how do I get away from that? And how do I not make that my narrative, you know? So like, that was really helpful. And, you know, sometimes I wish that I was a doctor. um, But, you know, a friend of mine told me, she's like, you are in a way you heal hearts. And like, I love that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. (laughs) And I was like, I do. (laughs) And like, and it just like fit like a glove. And that's really where my journey began. Like, I think I found a really good therapist and I started tackling my issues and rewriting that narrative that was, I'm unworthy. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, my body dysmorphia was just like, I have to be perfect. And if I'm perfect at everything, then I can be loved. And maybe my dad can come back, you know, um, I just need to be this way. And that was such a false narrative that was, I was carrying around with me for a long time. So, yeah. Which is so essential for people to hear, I think, because 
so often we don't question our narrative. We yeah. just accept it as fact, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my feelings are so strong. And if those feelings become like a fact, then they become a judgment, mm. you know? And that's like a CBT kind of thing, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. But like, I, you have to break down every narrative and you have to like catch what story you're creating. And I have so many stories that I was creating as a child from my trauma, you know, that it was really overwhelming. And I don't know how I functioned the way I functioned and didn't go down a road that was really terrible. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like back to that college professor, she had a level of belief in you that you couldn't have in yourself yet. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I can still remember her at the podium Mm. um, and like with her book and like the sun coming through. And I was just like, oh my God, like, this is it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like somehow my life is going to be altered in some way. And it did, it really altered it. And she hooked me up with a really great therapist. So I'm like forever, I don't know where she is, but I'm forever grateful to her for like, me being able to leave that emotional baggage with my dad. And like, if I not have been able to do that, I'd be sitting here like crying over the podcast, like Mm. being emotional, you know, like now I can talk about it and say like, uh, -uh, like you're not going to take over me, you know, like it's just what it was, but that's it. it. It doesn't have to be me. Which speaks to you owning your power and standing in your power. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but yeah. That's so great. Yes. Nikki. The first step that I took in leaving was that I told my husband I wanted a divorce. Mm. I'm a little bit hazy on whether or not I spoke with a divorce mediator and a divorce attorney right before that or right after that. But really the first step in leaving was delivering the news. And how was that received? It was not received well. It was a really messy, dramatic scene. Mm. Not on my side because I had planned out what I wanted to say. But on my husband's side, he was shocked. Hmm. And from that very moment, he was 3,000% against getting a divorce. And he basically fell to the ground and immediately begged for it not to happen. And he wanted us to go into therapy together. And I said, I'm not going to go into therapy with you. We had been in therapy once a year and a half, maybe or so previous to that. And the therapy didn't really take very well. So we stopped after maybe two months of it. And then when things got really bad again, I had begged my husband to go back into therapy and he had refused And I had accepted it because I knew that the answer really was no. But when I said that I wanted a divorce, he immediately 
asked for us to go into therapy. So I said, no, I had completely made up my mind. Hmm. And what I said was, I'm not in love with you anymore. And I want a divorce. I was careful about saying something that was subjective, Mm -hmm. something that couldn't be a matter of debate, right? Because if you say to someone, our marriage is, there are irreconcilable differences or our marriage is not able to be revived or something like that, somebody can argue with it. But when you say, I'm not in love with you anymore, it's really not up for debate. Well, and it was how you felt. And so that is within your control of expressing how you feel. Right. Right. So that really was the first step. And this ultimately was the initiation of a three-year-long high-conflict divorce. And I say high-conflict because... My husband was completely, completely, completely dead set against it. And I was very much for it. I was in a place where I really felt then and still feel now and believe now and know that I truly didn't have a choice. I wasn't going to be able to live with myself and with our family and in our marriage any other way. As far as I was concerned, our marriage was already over Mm. and that the divorce was a matter of formalizing and legalizing something that I already knew was gone. Yeah, yeah. This episode, each one keeps getting better and better. I really, really hope you enjoyed listening to each of their stories as much as I enjoy interacting with them each week to bring you the tools and the stories to know that change is possible. If it's possible for each of them, if it's possible for me, it's possible for you. And the overarching theme that keeps coming up for me and that we've talked so much already about on this podcast and in this episode is our intuition of listening to that still small voice inside of us. I fully believe that each of us have it within us. It's just learning how to get quiet enough to listen and then to do the work around trusting ourselves because I believe so much of our culture teaches us to not listen that there's a better answer. There's a better way outside of ourselves. And I also know that for years, I didn't want to listen to people that said I had all the answers within myself. I quite frankly wanted to punch them in the face. I thought, how in the world are you able to tell me I have the answers? I'm asking for help. I need help. Please help me. And Slowly but surely, I was able to do the work around my victim stories, the places that I was giving my power away. And I now fully, fully preach and believe that all the tools are within inside of us. And now don't hear me saying that we can't 
get help, that we shouldn't get help because I fully believe in getting help and getting coaching and getting mentoring in therapy, whichever tools those are for you that are going to help you to be confident in yourself, to trust yourself, to make those changes even when it feels impossible. Um, But I do know that the answers lie within us that the magic is already inside of us. And so it sounds so cliche. It sounds like something I would have hated to hear 10 years ago. In fact, I know I did because I remember the people that said similar words to me and I couldn't hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't ready to hear it. And now I'm so gosh darn grateful that I get to do this work, that I get to invite you, I get to invite the women I work with into different ways of seeing the world, of stepping into your power, of knowing that you can make change even when it feels impossible. So I hope through these five stories today, through each week that you are gaining strength and courage to know that you too can take bold steps. You are worthy of being in a loving relationship if that's what you're struggling with. You are worthy of trusting yourself deeply and you are completely worthy just because you are. So I hope that gives you hope. I hope that gives you inspiration. Thanks so much for tuning in. Can't wait to hear what unfolds next week with each of these women. So we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Set Yourself Free podcast. I'm so grateful you are here supporting me and these incredibly brave guests. If you could do me a favor and take one minute to share this episode with someone that needs to hear it, I would be so grateful. And if you are willing, please leave us a review. Each month, I will be choosing a reviewer to give a free session to as a thank you for listening to this podcast. One thing I know for certain is that shame can only grow in secret. I'm more encouraged than you could possibly know by those that are willing to speak up and help all of us know that we are not alone. So don't forget, head on over to my website at setyourselffreellc.com. Grab your free journal and you can also book a free call with me to see if we are a great fit in supporting your journey to setting yourself free. Thanks again and we will see you next week.